That was Black Summer by the Red Hot Chili Peppers on Monka Radio, where music and minds meet on a Friday, February 18th. But if you're on YouTube, you watch it right now on Danny Kugler's YouTube channel, as I have Zach Clapman from The Smoking Tire. He is a podcast host, a car reviewer, and producer for The Smoking Tire and Haggerty. He has taken over the user-submitted one takes for the smoking tire and has produced things for NBCSN and the drive. He has worked with the likes of Matt Farah, Chris Harris, and Mike Spinelli, as well as other automotive journalists. Zach Clapman, you're on the show. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Danny. This is really cool. Yeah, it's been in the works for two years and we've <laughs> we finally got something to do. And we're finally gathering because the Philadelphia Auto Show is finally returning which is nice. very exciting. I have never, I've never been to that one, but I'm sure, you know, any, any event returning is an exciting thing right now. Any event is returning basically is an exciting thing. So you see the dates right there. If you're on the YouTube and March 5th to the 20th to the 13th of 2022, you can see your show info. You can buy tickets. You can see the vehicles that are going to be there by manufacturer. There's a few feature vehicles on the website right now as we're, as we're, as we're recording this. So the Santa Cruz is going to be there. That, that's a cool vehicle. I like that truck. I drove that. I went to the press launch of that. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I actually had press passes to the auto show like two years ago. And the Tortora. Tortora. I, I forget how to say that. SSA. The launch oh, of that car. That, the, the hypercar, the Tortora. Tuatara. I never yeah, know how to say it. Yeah, and then of course they they had that whole kerfuffle with their top speed run and is it legitimate and is it not legitimate? And I'm really glad I don't work there because I don't know how what's going to become of that. But that was what two years ago now that they did that run and it was really contested. So yeah, it was two years geez. ago. Yeah, you know, yeah. But luckily, I don't work in the automotive industry, so I don't really have to cover it. So, <laughs> yeah. but. But in the meantime, we have the dates and hours of the Philadelphia Auto Show, March 5th to the 13th of 2022, Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., Sundays 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., and the weekdays 12 noon to 9 p.m. at the Pennsylvania Convention Center, one in the heart of Philadelphia, 1101 Arch Street, right off of Suburban Station. And also, cool things going on in the main line. Mainline Cars and Coffee announced their dates. We finally have a Cars and Coffee in the Philadelphia area we can be proud about here. Um, their 2022 event date, they're not paying me for this. I just I just went to their Cars and Coffee um, actually on the uh, in November and in October. And they, they actually have some great stuff there. There was like Lamborghinis, Carrera G. There was a Carrera GT there. Wow. And this was when? Like a, in October? In, in, in November, there was a Carrera GT there. Um, so there was no, I, no snow on the ground yet? No snow on the ground yet. So so this was the photos from November. I got to find... There's a new GT. I forget. I'm just stalling right now because I'm trying to find the picture of the Carrera GT. But there's there's this thing. So... A lot of good yeah. stuff, but their 2022 event dates are April 10th, May 22nd, June 12th, July 10th, August 7th, September 18th, October 16th, and November 13th, and are in case of rain, they have the date taking place the following Sunday at the Bryn Mawr Station Municipal Lot 7. Uh, you just Google Bryn Mawr Avenue, uh, you, and G, GPS, you just Google 7 North Brimmer Avenue. It's right across the street from the library. Very easy access to get to. Very easy access from public transportation, which I took to get to. Very access from the North Sound High Speed Line or the Brimmer, or from the Brimmer train station. So very cool stuff here. And after we paid our bills, we go to the interview process. And there's a lot of participating brands at the auto show too. All the exotics are there. <laughs> Which, and then Chevrolet, Ford, no Mercedes or BMW. That's that's a big exclusion. Hmm. 
Um, so, Zach, my first question to you, and a lot of my questions revolve around the collector and performance card culture, since I watch a lot of videos, your videos, Doug DeMuro, stuff like that, um, and read a lot of things about it. Um, with the advent in the pandemic auctions, in, in the pandemic of auction sites, such as Cars and Bids, Radwood, Collecting Card, Bring a Trailer, and others, and with the overall car market just flaring up, do you see the market continuing to be on fire or tampering off a bit with the end of the pandemic coming? Um, well, predicting future value of anything, you know, be it a car, stock, a house, is a little bit risky. So I don't want to, you know, sit here and be right. like, I'm going to guarantee that things will go up or they're going to go down. Um, I do think that the interest rates we've seen in the last couple of years and the stimulus that happened in the last couple of years has really helped and buoyed the car values because people, there are a couple of things um, at play here. People that are used to going on vacation, sometimes a lot or taking expensive vacations didn't do that. So they had extra money. Um, there are also really low interest rates, even on used cars, on used collectible cars, you could get financing for those things. So all of that stuff, similar with housing values, fueled the market and people were sitting at home with nothing to do but one thing they were allowed to do is buy or drive cars so i think at, my guess is and i'm not a financial advisor but my guess is that if interest rates go up we will see the market cool down a little bit and people are going to be able to go on vacations again and do other things with their money so i think we will probably see a little bit of a cooling off period um but that said there is still a really vocal part of the community that is not that excited about where cars are headed. Right, Cars are getting more digital. There's less feeling to them. They're less enjoyable to drive. There's fewer manual transmissions. Like all of the things I would say car enthusiasts between the age of like 25 and 75 are really into are just going away um, due to market forces. And so because of that, I think we will see exciting cars staying popular and sought after. I don't know what that will do for the price in the short term, but I think in the long term, as more cars are only offered with an automatic transmission or as more cars go electric, the cars that are fun to drive that burn gasoline are still going to be sought after. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that because, you, you know, I see these prices on cars and bids and bring a trailer and it, it's ridiculous, but it's like they serve a purpose. <laughs> They they do. And, and we can't forget that there's also been a supply problem. So people right. that, needed, that wanted a new car uh, couldn't get one. So it was really like this perfect storm for, you know, crazy car pricing. Like no one can buy a new car. People are bored. We're getting used to buying really expensive things online. If you put all that together, you're going to have this crazy inflated price. Right. And, and like, as the new cars get more techier, like I was watching your GTI video on the train earlier today on the way to my mom's and like the uh, voice command kept coming on and off. And I'm like, some people just don't get it. Some people just want to knob. Yeah. That, um, that car is, that car and some of the other Volkswagens that have those systems are confusing because the execution of what they were going for is really poor. You know, there are other cars that have these capacitive haptic feedback buttons like Porsches have them, the Lucid has it. There are some cars that have done them well. And while I may prefer buttons or knobs to that system overall, at least they did it really well. And Volkswagen, right. this is an example of a company that tried to do something similar and I think did, did not do a very good job. Yeah, and like like people in testing probably did not note, pick it up and like they put it out in the product and and you know, it, it, yeah. it just like some, it's sometimes surprised. you'd be surprised, like how, how, how st stuff falls through the cracks in car cars, because, you know, there's people covering it, but not enough people would know to look for it. Right. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Sometimes things slip through the cracks, you know, in, in any kind of manufacturing but um i think it's just a, it was a bit of a surprise that it had so many problems this is not financial advice but what enthusiast cars do you see increasing yeah. in value or decreasing in value stuff like that over the next few um, years what are some cars that you're looking at i think uh 
I mean, yeah, not financial advice. I think we're, you know, there's a generational shift happening. It's been happening for a few years, but the Radwood cars, that era of like 90, you know, late 80s, 90s and early 2000s cars getting popular and getting more expensive. And we're seeing a bit of a fade on the 60s and 70s muscle cars that the generation before me um, really sought in the early 2000s. I mean, we were all watching Barrett Jackson back in 04. Right. When we had like, <laughs> They had the, the TV shows and uh, hot rods were everywhere and the money for a you know numbers matching CUDA was $300,000. I think those days are kind of over. And I think we're going to be seeing more of these 80s, 90s, early 2000s cars continuing to go up. Um, I think something people aren't paying attention to are like the S197 Mustang is a good platform and a fun car to drive. And it's really reliable and it's manual transmission, rear wheel drive. Um, it's funny to watch how people how we chase opportunity or look for bargains because what we've right. seen like a good example is the drift community the 240sx was the car to get and then everyone found out about it and they got really expensive and then everyone went to the e36 and e46 m3 and those they got really expensive. expensive and then the 350z those were a good one of those was like five thousand dollars three years ago and now they're eight to ten so i think you know, yes, it's a live axle car, but I think Mustangs and Camaros are uh, a good option for people that just want a simple rear wheel drive car that right. works well and you can put good parts on it. And it, it's really, um, um, they're really reliable too, which can't really say about some of the other options. So I think, I think, so, I think stuff like that. And also defenders, stuff like that. Um, I think, the off-roading community has really picked up over the last few years with cars that people want, like Defenders, Land Cruisers, stuff like that, too. Yeah, they're not going to cool down. I think we might see a pickup in, um, like, two-door SUVs from the 90s, like the Tahos, the Blazers, those things. They don't make them anymore. They look cool. They've got good underpinnings. And it's been cool to see, like, the off-road community with overlanding and there's all these other ways you can go off-roading now that are in vogue besides just rock crawling or just Baja racing. There's, you and know, that's that not that extreme. And yeah, that's exactly. Not, that's not too harmful for your car, yet you can still drive it on the street. Right. Good point. Yeah. Um, um, the increased interest in racing mm -hmm. has happened in the U.S. Yeah. Finally. I know. F1 Netflix show, NBC having IMSA and IndyCar, NASCAR Clash at Coliseum. You were at that, actually. Um, Good. Yeah. Uh, increased, as that increased the value of performance cars and talk about a little bit of the uh, increased interest in racing and stuff like that. Well, it's been uh, Drive to Survive, which is the Netflix show all about F1, has been yeah has had a really big impact. I mean, I, I know it got me more interested in F1. It got like, my girlfriend wasn't into F1. And she started watching, she watched one episode of that show and she literally looked at me and went, can we watch another one? And we watched three in a row. And I've heard this from journalists. I've heard it from, from friends. Um, Last I think time I was here, I watched the first three episodes of Binge. <laughs> yeah, they're great. And it's great storytelling. And it's because I think F1 has always felt a little bit it's, it's hard to relate to. The cars look like spaceships. There's so much money. There's so much technology. And, and then the racing also got a little boring, but the way that show is edited and the stories they tell, you get it gets you invested in the drivers, especially some of the underdogs. And that's really great. Um, NASCAR has been making a really strong push to get viewers back because they've had a problem in the last, I think, decade or so of just right. decreasing viewership. I mean, racing in general has been less popular than, you know, each year it was a little less popular. Um, and NASCAR is making a push to do more road courses, which excites the enthusiast community. And they did stuff like the, the clash at the Coliseum, which, I mean, I know on, on the one hand, the track was so small, the racing wasn't that exciting. If you weren't really paying attention, like if you right. really, really focus on how are people making passes, it might not look like a lot is going on, but but, it, they said but that, it was very technical. It was very technical how the racing was done. The racing was really technical. And they reached, I think, like 40 or 50% of the audience there had never been to a NASCAR race. So it got a bunch of new fans. And um, and it was just a cool experiment. And I'm, I am genuinely excited to see the, 
the next generation car, which is the now generation car, like watching those run at the road courses with proper brakes, 18 inch wheels. Um, I mean, I think we basically are going to have Australian V8 supercar in America. So I think all these all these racing organizations are trying to bring in the fans. Um, what effect that'll actually have on car purchasing, I think will take a bit longer. I think uh, like people might get more interested in watching F1, but I don't think that's going to go, oh man, I really wish I was driving now. I'd like to race F1. Which car should I buy? I think it would be more likely that this would, you know, inspire like a few people, a few percentage points to maybe go out and look for fun cars to drive. But I think the bigger effect would be kids today that uh get exposed to the racing and that gets them interested and then they pursue it pursue the passion of cars so maybe 10 to 20 years we'll have an enthusiast community that kind of grew up from watching drive to survive or nascar on road courses and um it kind of created the next generation of car enthusiasts that's what i'm hopeful for yeah because it got really stale there in the last few years and um like I'm in a wrestling discord. As you know, I'm a wrestling yep. fan and we have a racing room in our sports subcommittee channel of our discord. That's how hardcore we are about racing now. It's like, there's only a few of us, but we, we talk about cars and we talk about racing and we talk about all this and it's a, the impact of that F1 show. Yeah. Cause it, it, because ultimately what drive to survive is, I think is it's a story about people and uh, a lot of times the people toward the back of the field, the drivers that are racing the teams, they do a really good job of telling the story of struggle. And we as people are drawn to the hero's journey. Like this is basic storytelling 101 for movies and TV shows, but it pulls us in and we want to root for these people. And then as a byproduct, we're like, oh, I learned about the arrow that Red Bull's working on because of the show. And I didn't know anything about it, but now I know. And now I can it allows people to be more informed and therefore more excited to watch something because they feel like they understand it. That's what I think. Right. I, I totally agree with that because it seemed inaccessible for the longest time. Yeah. Speaking of accessibility, YouTube car culture, mm -hmm. something that you have a little something to do with. A little um, bit. It, it's insane. Like the car culture is just insane. Like smoking tire, donut. Throttle House, Doug DeMiro, Stray Pipes, others, Hoovy's Garage. Do you feel like YouTube has allowed car culture to become influential? How has that influence affected car culture as a whole? Um, well, I think, I think it kind of gave car culture a megaphone. And actually, it's almost like it gave car culture a telephone so that people that didn't live in these epicenters of car culture could access it. So I think there were two things, like if you lived in a town of 2000 people and you, you're, you, you're almost never gonna see a Ferrari go through your town. So you could see one on the internet or see one in the magazines, but now with, with YouTube or Instagram, you're exposed to these cars and you get access to them through, you know, through your computer, or through your phone. So you get to learn about them and see them and hear what people think about them and, and listen to them drive. Um, and I feel like it has made the world feel much smaller, which is, that's just what the internet has done for almost any interest, any hobby. You know, you can talk to someone in Ethiopia, you can look at a car that will never arrive in the United States because it's not allowed here, but like, it's kind of shrunk the world, which is great. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that YouTube has done is not only help people just find car culture, it's helped them find a niche or corner of it that wasn't really represented in magazines or wasn't um, that popular. You know, Top Gear was gigantic, but it was like, it's a good everyman's show. You know, a lot of people like it. They didn't like cars. It's a travel show. It's a funny show, but uh, it didn't really talk about engineering that much. It didn't talk about fabrication or repair. It was just more about let's build a funny thing or drive a supercar. But with um, shows and channels like uh, Tavarish, B is for Build, you've got people that weren't that interested in chasing the I want to be a car reviewer side of things. They're like, well, what, what, what do I want to do with a car? You know, Tavarish has been buying, let's say, um, optimistic projects for a decade. Oh, yeah. He used to do articles on Jalopnik. Like I bought a cheap super, I'm going to try to fix it. I bought a whatever, an Aston Martin, I'm going to try to fix it. And I think for a lot of us, we always we grow up hearing about that these foreign complex cars 
are really hard to work on. You should never touch them with your own hands. You have to bring them to a tech uh, and they've proven you don't have to do that. And so I think it's been great to see someone who's not interested in, in how a car drives as much about they're more interested in how it works and how they can fix it or change it. And the people that are also interested in that were given content that fed that part of their brain. Like, oh, this is what I want to watch too. I don't care about someone sliding a car on a track and telling me about the, the Bluetooth connectivity. I want to see someone fix this thing. So that's what I, I really like about YouTube is it's just yeah. whatever your interest is, it doesn't matter if it's cars or knitting or whatever, like there are channels for everything and it's allowed communities to find, um, you know, their friends, I guess. Right. Right. And so it happened in wrestling. So it happened everywhere. And it's sort of given people and podcasting as well, mm -hmm. this sort of idea of, Hey, we can talk about this and not be ashamed of it. Right. Yeah. yeah you're not alone out there. If you, if you want to listen to a podcast about serial killers, there's a million other people who want to listen to it too. And is it weird? I think so, but who cares? You know? <laughs> right. Right. I, I totally agree with that. The accessibility factor is so huge and like, and like to do it well, you, you, you have to put some work into it, but at the same time, it's like anyone can do it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you have, if you have any phone that has a camera, you can make content of some kind. And I think people are proving that on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Um, just figure out what you like to make, what you, what you're interested in creating and create it. And someone's probably interested in watching it. Right. And I think also when you say places, I live in Pennsylvania, so I live in outside of Philadelphia. So it's like, I, I see these cars like once a year at most. Now there's a cars and coffee. Now there's stuff where it's allowed the car culture to manifest. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate that. And, and like the, this cars and coffee that the mainline car and coffee, Brett, who does it is a senior, was a senior in high school. Wow. And he, he organized it. Yeah. That's super cool. And it's, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what his story is, but I guess like you see, you see other communities creating these events. I mean, cars and coffee, I don't know what, five years ago was like, there was one of them. And it was, I think it was in Los Angeles and it had that, it just had that name cars and coffee. And then everyone went, well, why don't we just make a, a car show too and call it cars and coffee. And there were already car shows going on everywhere, but there was right. just something, something changed when everyone started calling it cars and coffee. And I feel like it got reinvigorated thanks to Instagram and thanks to the internet. Yeah. I, I really, I, I really like, I really like the cars and coffee model because it's like, it encourages all cars, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That, that's what I like about it. That's what I like about Radwood or the good vibes meet. Like, um, I mean, I used to go to hot rod shows as a kid and I loved them. I grew up around hot rods and that was like my first love, but, um, they were kind of limiting in what I was exposed to. And that's why for so long, I didn't really pay attention to Japanese cars or European cars. I was like totally on the other end of the spectrum where I, that's all I wanted to focus on because I was so exposed to the, American cars. Mm. You want you're like this. You're like I had enough of this. What else is out there? Yeah, got it. So California, where where you're from, um, it's yes. different, say, than the Northeast in terms of car culture because the winter and other weather events that are not good for cars. What makes it so special to be active in the California car culture? Um. Well, there's a few things. I mean, California is quite literally where hot rodding began. I mean, back in, I'm gonna get the dates wrong, but I think in the early like 1910s and 20s, um, some of the first American coach builders were based in California. So people would buy a Model T and then they'd send it to a coach builder because they had, you know, they have lots of money and they didn't want their car to look exactly like, you know, John down the street who doesn't have as much money. So they would send it to a coach builder and they would paint it and change the bodywork and all these other things. Um, and that was like the beginning of hot rodding. And then you also have a lot of design centers in California. There's the Calty Design Center. You have Art Center, which is a, probably the most revered um, transportation design school in the United States, one of the top ones in the world. You have hot rod shops. Like it all just kind of bubbled up and built on itself. 
Um, so that's part of it. And then the other thing is honestly the weather and it's yeah. probably kind of a lame or I don't know, like a, seems like a simple excuse, but the way I thought about it is, um, you know, sports cars and delicate cars really can only drive around when the weather's decent. If it's raining or snowing, like I'm not, I'm not going to take the E46 M3 out in the snow unless I have snow tires on it. Or if you have, or unless of your Ted word. I mean, I would like to, but I also, but you know, if you live somewhere where they put salt on the roads, like, well, you know, it's doing damage to your car. So do you right. want to damage your precious sports car or beloved whatever, or do you want to just drive something else for the winter? I totally get it. So the way I think about it is um, like, if, it's like a solar panel, you know, if a solar panel only pull, makes energy when the sun's on it. So if California, the weather's always nice, that's the sun. And we are basically making energy all year round because the weather's nice. Whereas if you live in Vermont, well, think of the winter as darkness. So four months out of the year, it's dark. You're not creating energy. And, be, and every year, the weather is nice and fairly consistent here. So the car culture is just going to build and build and build and build. I and mean, we have, we have um, you know, colleagues from Britain or other parts of you know, the country or the world, and they will fly to SoCal for press launches or to shoot content because they just know like the weather's stable. It's really pretty stable here. And having been on shoots where that get rained out in other parts of the country, I mean, it really, really throws a wrench into yeah. your budget, into your week, into your shoot. I mean, it can really derail a lot of things. So if you can avoid that, you will. From a production standpoint, it's just a nightmare to get, get everything rearranged. It, it really, really is. And I mean, we, and I worked on crews with like six people, so not that big, but if you have to, if you have to make six people stay one extra day somewhere, I mean, it's costing thousands of dollars. So now imagine right. you're shooting a car commercial that where the budget's $500,000 and suddenly you need to extend it by two days. I mean, the price is just, just goes through the roof. Yeah. And then it's not worth putting it in the Super Bowl. <laughs> With right and yeah you, yeah you have a Super Bowl contract you need to shoot this Toyota truck commercial you know you're probably going to do it somewhere where the weather is stable and uh that's why if if you if people if listeners start paying attention to car commercials you'll probably start seeing really similar roads and locations between different companies and it, a lot of those are based in uh or around the southern california area for a reason and in the canyons yeah i mean i i watch dealership commercials sometimes or i see car commercials and i go i know which how much i know what road that is i know which road that is it's it's funny to see that yeah yeah i i like your videos because you you guys take a, such a detailed approach on um like the car and like i think you and tedward do this so well you guys and tedward do this so well where you guys drive the car talk about your raw experiences doing this not not to diss any other youtuber like doug does this too and you know it, it sort of feels authentic just talking about your impressions of a car right then and there wait sorry rephrase the question I, I, no I, I was just making a comment oh that's what i thought i was like, like the way you left i was like wait was there a question i thought that was a period um no, it was a comment it was just complimenting <laughs> you guys Thank you. Yeah, it's a uh, it's hard hard to like assess a new car every time, but it's a, it's a really fun job, and we get um, I don't know. It's like reading a thousand books because you just get this weird this cool breadth of knowledge. Although it's way easier than reading a thousand books because I've been trying to read the same book for like two years. <laughs> it's very slow going. Yeah, yeah. Even you discover stuff with your. I haven't driven yet. Um, this is weird because I haven't driven yet. Even. And like, I could feel like if you got a new car, new or old car, like you're still discovering stuff about every day. Yeah, you know? I think, I don't think, uh, I think you could own a car for, you know, five, 10 years. I mean, you can always improve your driving. So you could own, you could right. own one car your entire life and you could if the car was of a, a decent caliber, I'd say you could continually improve your driving until the day you died. If the car is too slow or too weak, you'll find the limits of it very quickly. But I mean, if you have something with a decent amount of power and grip, I mean, you could literally drive that car from the time you're 16 to whenever it is you die 
and continually perfect how you brake, how you turn, how you accelerate. I mean, that's what race car drivers do. They're always trying to get better. Like Matt Farrow's Alexis. <laughs> the million mile Alexis. Yeah, I mean, that, that car was that car was amazing. That car is amazing. That car is amazing. I'm not knocking it. I just make it a joke because you know that that car is amazing because million miles. That car's seen a lot, a lot, a lot, um, a lot of parts, a lot of people, a lot of uh, trips. I mean, he has a journal somewhere. Uh, so for people that don't know, we 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 bought a. Lexus LS400 that had like 920,000 miles on it. And Lexus makes some of the most reliable cars in the world, especially back in the early, late 80s, early 90s. Right. And so the goal was let's drive this to a million. And we realized between press cars and our own cars, there's no way we could drive the car to a million miles. I mean, 80,000 miles would take probably a decade. Uh, so we loaned it out to a bunch of people who took it on their own trips and their own journeys. And they wrote, in this journal about it and uh it was really cool to see where people would want to take it friends colleagues whatever you know they drove to grand canyon or zion or over to i mean florida and back whatever um and it, it yeah the car the car had a little bit of an adventure before it hit a million i did that drive me and my friend andrew did that drive from pennsylvania to florida it it's it's a straight line it is pretty much yeah, it is. yeah. It was like the 95 is that the highway 95 yeah then, uh, yeah, it's a pretty straight shot, but um, same with the 10 east-west. I mean, anything that connects basically <laughs> two sides of a country or a continent is usually not the most exciting drive, unless it's across Italy or, you know, Swiss Swiss Alps or something. That's different. Now, last question before the fun game we have for planned for today. Yes. Um, uh, I think being a car journalist is an interesting job, too, because in a lot of cases, companies loan out new, their new models for you. To, for you to tell you their viewers, your viewers, their honest opinion. Mm -hmm. What's the balancing act of being honest in car journalism with being mindful that your opinion impacts so much in terms of an opinion of a car? Um, well, I think honesty is paramount. I think that's the most important thing um, because if, if, you're, if you're, for any reason, you're dishonest about how you feel about a car, well, then it's like, why are you doing the job? And also right. you lose, you will eventually lose your credibility. I think with your viewers or your audience, um, like our job is not to like balance our honesty to help sell cars or be nice to the OEMs. Um, so I think something that gets misconstrued by people is manufacturers don't mind if we criticize a car, as long as it's specific, because then one, we're being we're correct. We're like, this is a problem that we have, that we've discovered that we've, that we think is an issue and it's this thing and they can go, okay, well, either they can disagree with that choice or they can say, thank you. We will look at this in the future. I mean, there have been right. times where journalists have made criticisms or comments and like the next version of that car had literally has changes made to it because of that. And so that's, so I think specificity is good. And you know, and the other thing is, it's just not our job to like help them sell more cars. It can be a byproduct. If a car is amazing, and like if every journalist in the world is saying this is amazing, G like GT3 or Veloster N um, or BRZ, they're probably going to sell more of them because the enthusiasts who follow right. us, trust us, get excited by it. But that doesn't mean we're going to say every car is amazing to help sell more cars because like we don't. I don't benefit if Toyota sells more GR86s. I don't no. or more Celicas or whatever. Um, it's that I think, integrity that sort of drives you to be correct in what you do. Right. I think that's where you have the difference between a journalist and an influencer. And I, it, the term influencer is very broad, so I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. Like, and I, I understand it's kind of, it's come to mean like someone who has influence, which can be anybody like an actor can have influence or a musician or a math teacher that doesn't mean they're an influencer but there are people out there who get paid to make content they get paid by the manufacturers to make content and they are often not critical about a car and everything you know that they, they say that everything about it is great 
um, and they might omit some issues that other people might notice. And so that is um, something that viewers have to kind of decipher and figure out who they want to listen to or not. The other funny thing is that so much of the time, people already know what car they want to buy. So like someone will ask right. us, like, hey, I'm thinking of getting a GR86. What do you think about it? And I could say, this isn't how I feel. I could say, like, it's the most terrible thing in the world. You should never buy it ever. And they would go, well, I'm probably going to go buy it anyway. Because they, so what a lot of people are actually looking for when they ask. Um, validation. You know, exactly, validation. They, they want you to say, yes, you have made a good choice. And then they go, yeah, that's right. I made a good choice. Like in any other industry, like what, I'll, I'll give the example of Dave Meltzer. People, people in wrestling often look to Dave Meltzer for his star ratings because they want their match to be rated five stars or or four stars or above because it validates their opinion that says this match is good. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like we it's so funny that like we, you know, we could be excited about a band or a restaurant or a wrestling match or whatever, but we also want someone who has a voice of authority to agree with us because right. it, it reaffirms that we are smart and have made the right choice. Instead of being confident in ourselves. It's it's so funny. Right. Yeah, yeah. Humans are fun. Yeah, humans are fun, but we go to fun because up next we have the phrase game, random car yes. generator phrase game. Okay. And I know Zach's looking forward to this. Um, let me share screen and let me uh, get, get, oh God, how do I, uh, I should have for, slide format. Oh, I forget how, slideshow, there it is. They hide it from me. <laughs> Zach Clatton, random card generator. It's not really that random. I chose all the cars. Okay. So explain the game to me again and to the audience because I kind of so, forget. So I chose 10 cars from different sources. Um, okay. so, so either new cars that are hot and trendy or auction results from Bring a Trailer um, or Cars and Bits. Okay. And give me your impressions. Oh, just what I think about the car or the sale? Yes, exactly. Okay. Are we doing like, what, is it like one word, word association? Or is this just like a hot, like a quick five second hot? Quick, qu quick, five second, 10 second. It can be as long as you want. Okay. I, mean, I can go on for a while if you've ever heard the podcast. So <laughs> I know you can go. On. You try to keep it at short, but you can go on. Okay. 2023 uh, Nissan Z. I mean, the, the 350Z and the 370Z are fun to drive. Um, they're funny because it's like a dedicated coupe. There's no back seat. At least the 350Z just had this weird crossbar. Right. So it was never as useful as some of the competitors from like BMW. But the engines are pretty stout. The power is really good. And I think this redesign they've done looks good it has really grown on me especially in the front i think the back looks awesome um and i just think we should celebrate the fact that while so many car companies are making um getting rid of manual transmissions making things more digital etc cetera, etc cetera, this is like a really similar formula to the last two and i know that the chassis and a lot of the stuff underneath this car is very similar to its predecessor but who cares like it's it's gonna have 400 horsepower you get a tune on this thing, I'm sure it's going to jump to like 480. So now you have right. a good trusted rear wheel drive platform that has a ton of power and is not super expensive. I mean, starting at 40 grand is a little high, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm still yeah, between 40 and 50. I, I think, I think it, it's going to be fun um, for enthusiasts. It'll be know? fun. I mean, it's, it's competing against like the Mustang GT is a really good car. GR86. Yeah. GR86, but that's a, that's luckily $10,000 cheaper, thankfully. Right. So it's there's not a ton of competition in this price point now that they're like kind of like waning on the Camaro a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. We need more of this stuff. Yes, we do. I agree. 400 horsepower, twin turbo charge V6. Give me all of that. Okay, 2003 cool. Acura NSXT. It's sold for 75,763 on cars and bids in October 2021. It's a drivable every day. Uh, the NSX is 
one of my favorite cars in terms of ergonomics, reliability, and the shift feel in the manual transmission NSX mm -hmm. is the best shifter I've ever used price, like irregardless of price. And I've, I've had other friends drive the cars or producers on shoots and I'm like the shift knob, the titanium shift knob, like everything about it from the time you put your hand on it to when you shift through the gears, you're like, this is how they should all feel. It's amazing. Um, if it's the bolt action rifle is a bit of a cliche, but it feels like that. It feels so precisely milled and you can feel each gear without it being too difficult to shift. That's like, that's perfect. So the NSX is amazing. Um, yeah, they've gotten expensive and it's hard to find some of the interior parts if you need new like radios or window switches or whatever. But the fact that the fact is that this car changed the game of supercars and it basically forced Ferrari, Lamborghini and everybody else to make a car that was more reliable and usable than what they were making, because this really was faster than a bunch of the Italian competition. And they're awesome, man. Every time I've gotten to drive one of these, I've wanted to just drive it across the country and back. They're so comfortable. Visibility is great. They ride great. Drive it every day. And if you have one, you should drive it every day. And I love the color on this one. I love that blue. That's a really good color. Yeah, I mean, I like blue a lot. That's, I think it's my favorite color for cars right now. But I'm biased. Oh, yeah. Of course I'm going to put this on there. Yeah. The 06. Uh, um, Venn 01. Yeah. Venn 01 sold for $3.6 million. <laughs> I had to put that fact in there for because Barry sure. Jackson's insane. Well. For people who aren't familiar with this, these are charity auctions. So at any of the big auctions, when they have the first, the very first car off the production line, and it's a highly anticipated car, the car company will sell that first one. And it usually for gets charity. sold for 10 to 100 X over what it would cost out of a dealership. So this car is going to cost like a hundred ish thousand dollars and it sells for 3.6 million. It, it, that doesn't mean it's on par with a $3.6 million Pagani. No. Someone got a really big write-off and they wanted to donate to charity and that's great. And, uh, you know, and they got a car out of it. So, um, so that's how that works. But this car is, I can't wait to see the numbers this puts down in terms of performance because the C8 Corvette, and I'm not that into the looks of the regular one. I do think it looks better in Z06 form i think the way they widened it it works the proportion of the lines work much better but the yeah. c8 corvette is so comfortable on the road the new the transmission the dct from tremec is excellent the engine is great um and you're getting supercar performance for under a hundred thousand dollars with the regular corvette with the z06 i mean this is really it's going to be interesting how close if not past it gets to like a ferrari 488 um a huracan like i don't it's like which which trim level of the hyper of the supercars is it going to take down i think that's the real question because gm's chassis engineers are i think some of the best in the business and that's true of the cadillacs it's true of the camaros so if you take that and then you add mid-engine and you add lots of power i mean you basically have a chevy ferrari um and it's going to be fast. And they it's made really it fast. the 458 the benchmark of this car, the benchmark for this car. And like, see, see that that video they made. I know it's a promotional video, but that's probably one of the best promotional videos a uh, car company's ever made. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, yeah, they benchmarked that car, but this is making almost 700 horsepower. So it's making. Yeah. 488 GTB or Pista horsepower. Right. I mean, this is almost as much power as the F8. So you're making the same amount of horsepower as um, as some of the top tier Ferraris. The difference, and of course, naturally aspirated too. Right. So it's NA. So it's going to sound better, which is something that's definitely lacking in the F8 when I've driven it. But it does mean it's not going to have probably not going to have as much low end torque as those Ferraris. So I don't know which will win in a drag race, but drag racing is not what these cars are all about like the, the lap time I, I really am excited to see what the lap times are um between yeah. this and like ferraris and lamborghinis yeah yeah at laguna yeah anywhere 25 25 years owned porsche 911 sc targa 
It's a $43,000 car sold in, on Bringer Trailer re, pretty recently in February. 67,000 miles, 3.0 liter flat six, 5C manual, reprint paint to a metallic blue 15 inch alloys. Um, I mean, you know, my gut reaction, like Targos do nothing for me. I think I don't. I don't like the like. I yeah. really don't like the way these look. I don't like the way they look with the top up or down. The new ones, they hide that target top much better. But this with the really big B pillar, it just, it just. Yeah, I agree. It's a pretty good looking car. So for me, like I wouldn't buy this for forty three thousand dollars. I know that nine elevens have been really in vogue for a couple of years, and they are to their credit, like they're really durable. They're really well built. I mean, I've driven. I drove like a 1972 911. I've driven uh, 1980s 911s. All of them feel like they were made yesterday. I mean, there's no wiggles. There's no squeaks. Like the whole, the body is just so well built. Um, so I get why they are. Like when I go up into the Los Angeles mountains for a drive, the groups of cars that go by are usually 911s. Like they are an active community for driving instead of parking. Like they don't care as much. You know, there's some car communities that just want to like go to the car park because they don't want to risk breaking the car or that's just what they're more about. The, a lot of the Porsche people are into driving. And I think some of that is because the cars can take it over a long, 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 long period of time. But this to me is like, uh, I don't think it looks that good. I wouldn't spend $43,000 on it. But, um, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. So if you can't get yeah, into like a really cool fast 911, you can get into this because five years ago, you could get a lot more car. Oh, you could get a lot more Porsche for $43,000. You know, if, if I was going to, like, I would rather get a Cayman S for 43,000 bucks than this thing. A car you recently had on one take. Lucid uh, Air. Yeah, Lucid Air. I think um, it'll make, it should make Tesla nervous. I think it, the interior design is beautiful and far higher, higher quality than the last Tesla I sat in, which was a plaid. Just, it's more interesting. Um, I think, you know, the electric motors, as, as they came out in the Model S, it was like, oh, look, it goes really fast. It goes zero to 60 really quickly. A lot of cars do that now. And what's, now you have to separate yourselves from the Taycons and the Teslas and the Audi e-trons in other ways. And so I think what Lucid has done is made a car that the exterior is pretty different from the other ones. Um, but the interior is really beautiful. And the e-tron, if you get in it, it basically looks like another Audi, which is good. Some people want familiarity. Um, the Tesla is too stark, in my opinion, and feels cheaply made. This feels like a different new thing. And I think it's the most efficient of the EVs. Technically, they won that race. Gets crazy, uh, has crazy range. And you can get it with a 1,000 horsepower. So, of course, it's really fast. And the ride in this is like S-class ride without airbag suspension. Wow. It was amazing. The ride is excellent. So I think as long as their quality control is good and um, and charging networks keep getting better, I mean, this, I feel like they'll, I hope they're a contender because I really, I like the car a lot. Yeah, I like this car a lot. I, I love the sleek design too. I love the wheel design here is pretty good too. I, it's unique for an electric car. I mean, you know, the whole thing is unique. It looks very French. I think it looks, yes. if, you, if you put a Citroen badge on it, no one would think um, it was out of place. No, no one would fret. Yeah. 2006 Subaru Baja Turbo sold for $14,100 on cars and bids on February 3rd. Uh, duh, 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 duh. Well, so this is. The Turbo. That's an aftermarket yeah. hood. For sure. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's a modified car. This looks like a total Colorado vehicle and it's in the snow. Um, I I don't get the attraction to the Utes, like El Caminos and things. I'd rather have a car or a truck. But I know that Utes got popular in Australia because they needed to transport truck goods over long distances of highways. And like, you know, a traditional pickup truck in America gets bad gas mileage. It's a, a huge air right. brake. So yeah, like get it, take a car and give it the cargo capacity of a truck. And now you have something that is, is pretty useful. Um, the Baja has always been so funky to me. I think I would rather just have a legacy wagon because I like being able to put things in a trunk so they can't get stolen. The Baja has been this weird, like 
um, it has like a cult following of, you know, it was, it was weird enough and fun enough and they didn't make that many of them or sell that many of them. So I think the people that appreciate them tend to bid them up a bit, but like, I think this is a fair price. It's like $14,000. It's basically a Subaru legacy with a truck bed. Sure. Can't yeah. back. It's really short, but like, I don't know. Some people really dig the, the, the funky styling of these things. Uh, yeah. Another big one, Rivian <laughs> R1T with the uh, gear tunnel and camp kitchen. Right. And making uh, 835 horsepower. We're reviewing this car in like a month. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about the Rivian from a lot of colleagues I trust. They say it handles great, uh, which isn't true of a lot of pickup trucks. It's fast, of course, because it's electric. There's a lot of clever things in it. The camp kitchen is a pretty cool idea, and you can take that out and store things behind the back seat. So I think I like this clever stuff. What's really exciting to me, and, and Lucid did this as well, is with electric vehicles, you have more packaging options because you don't have a drive shaft going down the middle of the car or um, in Lucid's case, you know, it, the motors are separated and they're very small. So they have like these extra parcel shelves underneath the traditional trunk floor with Rivian, you know, you don't have that drive shaft um, and they just found a way to make extra space underneath the back seats. So you have this tunnel that can hold stuff and has a slide out kitchen. That's so cool. I mean, it's, it's a cool way to get people excited about your Interesting, car company. Yeah. And, and the fact that all these people I work with that I really trust their opinion have said such good things about this tells me like, look, this isn't just an electric truck that has a slide out kitchen, but the rest of the vehicle sucks. So it seems like they've made a good truck that can off-road well um, and is really good to drive and, and drives well. It's supposed to handle well, really great because it has, it has a really clever um, sway bar system similar to what McLaren does where the corners are connected with hydraulics oh right and, and the um the mclaren 720 is like one of the best riding super sports cars i've ever been in because of this amazing wheel articulation and suspension they have so this has a similar system and i'm pro uh that bodes well so i'm i'm into it i'm into it yeah i'm into this car too when when i saw doug's video on it i was like like the like the gear tunnel is a little gimmicky but oh my god like it's so smart and then like, like when I saw him accelerating and I was like, man. Yeah. And something I don't like about trucks again, is that if you put something in the bed, it can be stolen. So granted, if something's too big for the gear tunnel, well, then you have to figure something out. But like, if you have skis, snowboards, I don't know, guns, something like something that's high value and easily carried that won't fit in the truck cab, put it in the gear tunnel and then someone can't steal it while you're grabbing a burger. One FZ powered 1989 Toyota FJ62 Land Cruiser five speed, 29,000 on bring a trailer. I'm surprised it was that cheap, honestly. There was a period of time where any Land Cruiser just seemed to be selling for crazy money, um, mostly because Icon, uh, who does amazing modifications and refurbs of those right. cars, was, was buying a lot of them so they could refurb them and sell them for like $200,000. So, I don't know, 200,000 miles imported from Columbia. That's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure how import laws work, so don't don't ask me those questions. But I mean, these things are usually about as reliable as a hammer. So if if the if the one FZ is that kind of engine, uh, yeah, that's a really stout off roader that will last a really really long time. Looks cool too. That's a good color, good stance. I'm into it. Yeah, I like that stance too. Really good color. Yeah. 2004 BMW E46 325i sedan. Not an M car, but a 325i, $11,000 on cars and bids on 2222, 56,700 miles. It's an automatic. This should be so. Okay. So, this is an example of pricing of the price bubble. I mean, this should be like a $6,000 car. The, it doesn't have a lot of miles, which is good. It looks like it's in good shape. I mean, this is a really great daily driver long distance commuter. I mean, these cars are comfortable. They're smooth. They ride great. If assuming everything works, of course, but okay. I bought my, I have a 2002 BMW M3. I bought it with 85,000 miles on it. It's a slick top. It had the nav system. It has the, the best seats, um, rare color. And I bought it for $15,000 like four years ago. So this wow. is a car with, this car has a little more than half the horsepower of mine. It's 
it's silver, meh, it's an automatic, meh, and it's knocking on the door of, of as expensive as my car. I mean, there, you could buy E46 M3s a few years ago for $11,000 that were manual transmission, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a car that, while a good way to get around, I don't think it just shouldn't be $11,000. Six, seven grand. That's, that's right. what it needs to be. And then the last one, 2022 Ford Bronco Raptor. This was just revealed. Yeah. Um, the Bronco is really cool. I've driven a bunch of them, a bunch of the new ones, and they look awesome. The retro thing, they executed it perfectly. Uh, they, they drive on the highway much better than the Wrangler, which is its competitor because they have a different front right. um, suspension design and they have a different steering system. They're very, very loud on the highway. I mean, really surprisingly loud. That is their one, that's the one big con against them in terms of their highway performance. Uh, the Raptor stuff is always fun. I mean, it's it's suspension that can go over bumps at high speed. I'm into that. You can slide it around. I'm really into that. It's got 400 horsepower. I'm into that. They're going to sell every one of these they can make. I mean, I feel like a lot of people have been looking for an option besides Wrangler, and the Wrangler has been the best choice at its game of like hardcore off-roading that you can drive around for i don't know 20 30 years so they're going to sell every one of these things i think they're fun right they look cool and they're fun and they have sold every one of those things probably i mean in these you know yeah it starts at 70 grand but with markups these days there's no way you're getting one of these for seventy thousand dollars. unfortunately no no i would i would advise people to wait a bit if you can wait two years see if they have sorted out any problems and, and get the supply chain fixed um you might save yourself some money but yeah I, they're fun looks cool and and with that it concludes our interview do you want to plug anything before we go definitely um please check out the smoking tire podcast it's myself and uh, the host matt farrow talk about cars we have interviews with um journalists pretty famous comedians, uh, people that work in robotics, all kinds of things, talking about tech, talking about cars, talking about jokes. And then we also do car reviews on the Smoking Tire YouTube channel. It's a separate channel and we review anything that's new, quick and exciting. And sometimes um, home-built projects from our fans that usually have really cool and interesting cars. And it's fun to learn about why they put the parts on they did or why they made the choices they made. Yeah, that mini review was so insane. That, that, was a funny, that was a funny weird car yeah, uh, yeah and then explain your shirt different. explain your shirt what's that shirt oh so this is a shirt we made on, on blip shift a few like a few years ago it says boxy but good and it's got an old uh like volvo v70 on it um yes there was a movie called crazy people i think back in the 80s that matt really likes and um one of the people in there in the uh insane asylum used to make car commercials and with the volvo they were like well it's boxy but it's good which is kind of true of the volvo so we we did a little bit of an homage to that funny line yeah and then last question turning radiuses sure what is it that matt's so obsessed with turning radiuses for <laughs> that's funny um well i think my opinion is that you should pay attention if a turning radius is either horrible or really incredible. And then I think there's a big middle ground where you're like, that's fine. Uh, I owned a Crown Vic for a while, which had a, a turning radius that was so bad that parallel yeah. parking it was basically out of the question. Getting around shopping malls or parking lots was like difficult. You had a three, you had a three point turn in places that any other car doesn't have a three point turn. So in my opinion, if you're in a left turn lane and the, the, the road beside you has two lanes, if you can make that U-turn, without hitting the curb or anything, great. That's a good turning radius. That's a tight turning radius and awesome. Um, and if you can't do it, you know, if, it's a, if you're an F-150 or something, I understand like that's a, a length issue. Um, but I, I think Matt just always wants to test that part of the car. And we're usually testing the cars in the canyons where there's not a lot of parking garages. You know, we don't, we don't do a lot of city testing. We don't like, right. we want, we're not gonna tell you how this car parks or show you rather how it parks or how it navigates through a parking lot. So. Oftentimes, the only way to test that is when we have to turn around to go back, uh, back up the canyon. And I think, in, I think he would love to have a car that could turn around on one two-lane road. And some cars can, but that's very, very rare because that's not a lot of space. 
Yeah, it is very weird. He's like, oh, it's very good. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for me, most of the time, if, if I have to like do a little three point turn on a two lane road, that's not bad. If I have to do a yeah. you know four or five point turn, that's that's not good. Yeah. And this is talking about someone who's never driven. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you'll learn. And one day you're going to have to turn around somewhere and you're going to have cars coming towards you. And you're going to go, oh, God, I'm not going to make the turn. You have to put it in reverse and they're going to be coming towards you. And you're going to feel the uh, anger of those other drivers as you are in their way of wherever they're going. And you're going to be wanting to back up as quickly as you can and then put it in drive as quickly as you can. And if you have to do another little adjustment because you still can't make the turn, like it's stressful. It is annoying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I could imagine. I've probably seen my dad do it or my mom do it. Probably. Yeah. Uh, or if you have a drift car, you have 40 degrees of steering angle. And then this is never a problem. <laughs> True. <laughs> and then you can just turn traction control off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you shouldn't do that in, in uh, on public streets to make a U-turn. No, but... you shouldn't do that on public streets. Yeah. No, but we don't very, condone that. It's very easy to... Right. But if you live in Pittsburgh, I mean, you know, people, you know, um, are aware that if it's snowy, it's very easy to make a U-turn. It's much easier. Oh, yeah. Snow. Yeah. yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at DJD Kooks and on Instagram at DKooksPunk43, D-K-O-O-K-Y-P-U-N-K-43. I'm going to take a quick picture. There it is. And and then I'm going to stop the recording.